0: well, good evening, everyone. Uh, go ahead and get a head start in Zechariah chapter eight. Zechariah chapter eight. We're going to continue what we started this morning and what we've started many, many months ago, uh, going through Zechariah. Uh, the context is the same as it was this morning, and we're going to kind of give a little bit of review uh, just to refresh ourselves before we dig into this eighth chapter. Uh, What we have here is this time of revival for the children of Israel uh, has taken place and they're at this point in time where they're really seeking after a reality in their life. Uh, They're not uh, trying to just do these ordinances because this is what God has prescribed. They really want this relationship with God and to be able to discern the mind of God. they're now back in the land. It's been 20 years uh, since they returned from captivity, and they're rebuilding the temple. Uh, it's, it's, they've started rebuilding the temple, and everything is going well. The, the whole uh, group there has repented, and God has made this statement that from this point on, he was going to bless them. And they sent this delegation of these two men to the house of God to ask this question. Should we continue to weep and fast in the fifth month as we always have? Um, It's a question that we try to put to ourselves, um, and we'll put to ourselves again this evening. Uh, Did you come out tonight because you wanted to hear from the mouth of God, or did you come out tonight because it's just Sunday night? Um, That's something to ask ourselves. Is this just a ritual behavior that we have? It's Sunday, it's 6.30, I sit in this pew at this time, I park in this parking space. We all are are guilty of it at different points in time. Or did we really come to hear what the creator of the universe has to say? So this is what the people wanted to know. They were continuing in these fasts to remember the judgment that God had poured out on the children of Israel for 70 years. They had had these fasts that they remembered to commemorate the judgment that God had pronounced upon them. But now they're in the land, they've been there 20 years, everything's turned around that judgment has passed, and they're saying, well, do we just continue to do it because we've been doing it for 90 years? Um, God kind of takes a different approach. He doesn't answer it right away. He asks a question. He said, did you really remember those fasts for me? For me? Did you really do it for me? When we apply it to ourselves, the, the children of Israel would have been concerned about certain feast days, uh, certain sacrifices, certain events. Uh, We have in Christendom today people that are only concerned with Christmas and Easter. Somehow Christmas and Easter is more important than every other day of the year. There's nothing given in Scripture for Christmas and Easter. Uh, There's nothing laid out, but yet all of a sudden Christmas and Easter come around, and it's a a more important day. And so forget that we haven't been living for Christ the whole year, but we're going to do this on Christmas and Easter. Um, That is a problem. Uh, because what we are showing to the world is that Christianity, to be a follower of Christ, is simply a trivial thing, that he's not really interested in our character. He's only interested in if I do certain things on more important days. Um, what God has shown in the, New, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that that's not the case. Uh, God is concerned with our character every moment of every day and how we live for him. And by going about it in this certain situation where it becomes a routine or it becomes a ritual, it is just habit. It's not out of love for the Lord. And so these people were reminded of this. And God has warned them that they are to do the things that he's already commanded. And those things were, we'll read in chapter 7, just to recoup, uh, 8 through 14. Uh, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Zechariah saying thus says the Lord of hosts execute true justice show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the alien or the poor let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother Uh, that's the instruction that they're supposed to do true justice we talked about true justice meaning it's easy to execute justice when the other person is in the wrong and you benefit from it that's when we want to see justice Uh, We don't want to see justice when we're in the wrong and judgment falls on us. Um, So he's saying in in every situation to strive after true justice instead of just for our own benefit. Uh, There's also this implication in the Word of God that true justice is if you see someone that is poor to, out of your plenty, give to this person that is poor, Uh, If you see somebody that is hungry, out of the food you have to give food. There's this idea of trying to see the the wrongs that are in the world and to do what you can in your power to make it right. Um, We know that God one day will have, uh, he will rule from Jerusalem and he will rule with a rod of iron, but there will be peace and there will be enough food for everybody. There'll be no more poverty, no more things like that. So this is what uh, God is striving for. It says, show mercy and compassion, everyone, to his brother. Uh, So we won't be afraid to execute true justice because the brother that's going to be in uh, a seat of power against us is going to show mercy and compassion. It says, do not oppress the fatherless or the the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Uh, This is a a tough one for us uh, to plan evil in our hearts against our brothers. Uh, We have a, a competitive nature Uh, We have a nature that uh, wants to, uh, this idea of oppression, hold other people down while we uh, pump ourselves up. It says don't do that. So what God is telling the children of Israel in a roundabout way, and he's telling us, is that he's not interested in these extraordinary things. He's interested in these ordinary things, the day-to-day life of each person. Verse 11 is the warning of what happened to their forefathers. It says, But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears, so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened, that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind, among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. This is a step-by-step playback of what happened to the children of Israel before they were sent into captivity. Um, they heard what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. They didn't want to. They, they didn't heed the word of God, and they... Eventually shrugged their shoulders. Oh, well. Life goes on. We'll just keep going. Oh, well. Shrugged their shoulders. Well, the Lord didn't stop speaking to them. So it says that they stopped their ears. Put their fingers in the ears and they stopped their ears. Refusing to hear. And it says they hardened their hearts. So what are we going to do to apply that to ourselves? Imagine you're a member of a church. And all of a sudden, there's something in the Word of God that uh, comes across that you don't want to obey. And you say, you know what? I don't want to obey it so bad that I'm just going to kind of ignore it. Uh, So it comes out. You realize you're not being obedient to it, but you just shrug your shoulders. And you say, "Ah, you know, there's worse things than what I'm doing. So you shrug your shoulders. You move on. Well, the, the message somehow, for some reason, it keeps coming up. All of a sudden, it seems like every message... Is about this one thing. It's like, is this the only problem that we have? So you stop your ears, and you leave. And you say, well, if that's the case, then I just won't go to that church anymore. So you leave the church, and then all of a sudden you find that even though you left the church, it's still coming up in conversation. It's still coming up with different friends and family, and you can't get away from it. And and you harden your heart so much to the point where you cut all ties with everything that could be associated with it. And then lo and behold, you find yourself in the midst of a trouble with no one to help you. And you cry out to God and you expect Him to listen. The children of Israel, this is exactly the situation that happened. Uh, The prophets that came and told them these messages, these things to do, not only did they uh, not listen, but they threw these people in jail most of the time. Uh, They wanted to be rid of these prophets. So much to the point that by the time the Babylonians were at the gate and they were crying out to God, help us now, they had no intention of changing everything that they knew to be true. They had no intention of repenting from what God had originally said when they stopped their ears. They just wanted the pain to go away. They wanted the suffering to stop. We want everything that's good. And then we want to be left alone, but when we're in trouble, we want you to show up. God will not be mocked. He says it many times. He will not be mocked. That's not the way it works. If you want God to hear you, then there's a certain matter in being obedient to the word that he's given. not saying you need to know everything, but the things that you do know, you need to strive to be obedient to. So we have this point where this warning goes out, and he says, because they did these things and refused to hear, the word of God came true. Surprise, surprise. And they ended up in captivity for 70 years. The scary part of that is that this was a generation many, many years before that was responsible for this downward trend, and then there was a certain generation that suffered greatly for it. And now we're at this point in time where the suffering has taken place so much that out of the millions of Jews that there once was, there's only about 50,000 back in the land. It's been reduced to that, that have come back. So when we think of ourselves, and sometimes we have this state where we think that the things that we do, the sins that we're involved in, uh, what we get into may not affect us, but we don't realize the effect it's going to have on the next generation and the generation after that. And all of a sudden, we get to a point one day where we say, this is as bad <laughs> as it can get, and it's got to stop. We see that it's not a matter of just crying out. It's a matter of doing what God has already said to do. And so that's what God is doing. He's pointing them back to the things that he said. So this is what he tells the people. The people take all this in, and they think for themselves, uh, you still haven't answered our question. So should we weep in the fifth month or, and fast or, or no? So what the Lord is going to do here is he's going to give 10 promises to the children of Israel in this eighth chapter. And in this eighth chapter, as he gives these 10 promises, he doesn't really say why he's going to give them or how it's going to be possible. He just tells them that it's going to happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this eighth chapter, um, and then we're going to see what, uh, what, what can apply to ourselves and how we can uh, move forward with this. But that's really the The just of where we're at. So verse 1, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand Because of great age, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes? Says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man, nor hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy, for whoever went out or came in, for I said, all men, everyone, against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the, she- for the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heaven shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong, for thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again in these days I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before them. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. A lot of thus says the Lord, a lot of the Lord of hosts in that uh, 23 verses there. Ten times we have these uh, statement of promises, and we're going to notice that uh, there's really three sections to these promises that the Lord is, is laying out. We see these the first eight verses are going to kind of deal with this millennial kingdom that God is going to establish the peace that they're, they're going to enjoy as far as being the children of Israel. Then he deals with the remnant at this current time that uh, they're looking for encouragement to keep on going with the building of the temple. He's going to give promises to them. And he's also going to mention the nations that will be uh, in existence during this millennial reign. So he, he covers all his bases in these uh, 23 verses and these promises given uh, to the children of Israel. So we have this idea in verse, in verse 1 that he is zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Right now, the city of Jerusalem is still a very much a city of rubble. Uh, There are no walls around the city. The walls had been destroyed and they had not been uh, cleared out or taken care of. So you have a wallless city with no defenses. You have a temple that is really just a pint size of what the original temple was with none of the beautiful adornment that the Temple of Solomon had. Uh, It's just this real small thing that's being constructed right now on the Temple Mount. And the people of Jerusalem are, like I said, about 50,000. They're just a small remnant here. And they are not seen as the head of anything. They are a lowly people that were only given their position because King Cyrus made a decree that he would give them everything that they needed to go back and to build the temple. And we know that it was the hand of God prophesied in Isaiah that that would take place. But this is how the world views them right now. They're nothing to be really spoken for at this current time. So he's saying that this is going to be the mount. This is where everything is going to take place. And so we're going to try to put ourselves in the position of the children of Israel and think about that promise. Um, we have here this idea that the, the Lord paints that it's not enough. So in verse 4 it says this, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand. Because of great age the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Um, we all admit that's a, that's a pretty picture. Um, that's something that we, we, in our mind's eye, all desire. Uh, there's nothing that is more fun than seeing Noah run around with my, my parents uh, in the backyard and things like that. It's just a real peaceful setting, uh, something that the rest of the world, per se, doesn't really know. Um, think of this idea of this being in uh, a place that was a war zone. You have all this rubble everywhere and you have these families playing around these destroyed buildings. Uh, It's not safe. There's no security there. And the most vulnerable people are the old and the children. God is saying that there will one day be a time when they'll play happily in the streets and there won't be any worry or care. Um, It's something that we all long for, I know most of the world would uh, happily trade places with with what we have, uh, the peace that we enjoy. But this is the picture that he's trying to paint, uh, that there will be uh, staffs in their hands because of great age, and the streets shall be full of boys and girls uh, playing. We see that God is uh, zealous, Uh, your Bible might say jealous. Um, It's this point that the children of Israel in the past had gone after other gods. They had put other things before God, and God had done what was necessary in order to bring them back. Uh, When we apply that to our own lives, those of us that have been born again as the bride of Christ, when we put someone else before the Lord, we're guilty of spiritual adultery. Um, Being married, there would be a great jealousy if Kathy had taken interest in another guy and had been spending more time with another guy and uh, didn't want to spend time with me anymore. Uh, there would be uh, a great jealousy that would build up within me, and uh, we would do whatever needed to be done to resolve that. Uh, this is the position that the Lord has been put in, and what he's going to do is he's going to tell him all the promises that he's going to give to him. So in verse 6, we have to remember, they wouldn't be able to picture this in their own mind. They would think this is too good to be true, it'll probably never happen. In verse 6 it says, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. If the Lord has said it, it will be done. So it's this idea of as impossible as it seems to us what will be accomplished, it doesn't seem hard. The Lord doesn't look at this as a hard thing. This is just what it's going to be. Um, One of the struggles that I have in my own personal uh, walk with the Lord is this idea of judgment. Um, We think of the mercy that God has shown all of these years and the wickedness, in a sense, that has been allowed to exist in the world without judgment. And that there will one day be a point in time when all wickedness will be dealt with. That's just impossible to imagine, uh, that those that have done wicked things will one day get actually what they deserve. It's also a fearful thing to think that no amount of good works, no amount of striving that we do in our own flesh can change that. The scariest thing is when we realize that we are wicked people and that we have done these things, and that we're guilty of them. It's hard to imagine judgment being poured out upon us. But all of a sudden, the realization comes that indeed we are guilty, that indeed judgment is coming, and we cry out and we say, what can we do? What can we do? And we hear this message called the gospel that God sent his only begotten son to take our place. That all the judgment that was gonna be poured upon you, God instead poured it upon his son. And that there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We might hear that and think, that is too good to be true. But God himself has said this. That's not too hard for the Lord. If you're in this place and you think, well, that's not me. I really haven't done that many wicked things. How could God judge me? I'd be careful. Uh, That's a lie of the devil. We're all guilty. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're in this place right now where they think of the sins of their forefathers, and they can't imagine that God would bless them in such a great way. These people are just looking for... Look, let me build a temple, let me worship, let me have my plot of land, and let me harvest and and just kind of live a peaceful life. That's all they're really looking for. God wants to give them so much more than what they're seeking, so much more that they can't possibly imagine this future time. We have this idea in verse 7. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Um, We have this idea from the east and from the west. We know it's not talking about the party that was brought back because that would have just been um, from the east. Uh, So he says, from the east and from the west, and really this idea of from the west means from the rising to the setting of the sun, meaning he's going to gather his people from the whole earth and bring them back to Jerusalem. So he says, I will save my people from uh, the east to the west, essentially. I will bring them back. They shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. This is what God has wanted this whole time uh, to take place. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is where the transition begins. Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace for the, from the enemy for whoever went out or came in, for I said all men, everyone against his neighbor." This is where the Lord has changed gears and he's talking directly to this remnant. Um, sometimes we think of the glories that will be, the things that the Lord will do, the fact that sin will one day be done away with. How does that help me today? How does that strengthen me today? And what the Lord is trying to do is encourage these people. It says, because I've told you the end, work towards that end. Don't just, be, don't just settle for what you have, but work towards that end. It says, let your hands be strong. Uh, this idea of building is hard. Uh, building when it seems everything against you is even harder. But God is telling them that the end is going to be glorious, so work towards that. Sometimes it's easy for us to get discouraged with the day-to-day. It's easiest for for us to get down on ourselves, and everything seems too hard. Um, One day, we will all be like his son if we've trusted in Christ. So let's work towards that end now. Let's do what we can to work towards that end, to be strong now. Uh, Let us not uh, be deceived by the wiles of the devil, by the sin in our own lives, to think that it's okay and to continue to go down this road where we wake up and we're far from God. Let your hands be strong. You have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid. For the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. We've already heard from God that the temple will be built. These people believe it and they're pursuing this, this, this building project. And we see that the Lord is pleased uh, with the, the progress. That's the word I'm looking for. With the progress that's taking place. So, what do we do with our own lives? What are we building towards? What did you come out tonight to hear? again? That's a good question. Did you come with a heart prepared to hear something and then to do something? Or did we assume that our mere presence... We had certain classes, you know, in in college that if you showed up, you got uh, credit. And the first question that we all asked when we got into our classes in college was, is uh, do we get scored based on attendance? We want to know right away how many points I'm going to give up based on the days that I know I'm not going to be here. If it was graded and there was uh, credit for being there, then you tried to be there as much as you can. If there was no credit given for being there, then it didn't really matter. You showed up or you didn't show up. Uh, Sometimes we think that just by showing up, uh, we get credit. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. No credit given. It's, it's, this, it's this idea that we, we came here, hopefully, to hear the Word of God taught. Sometimes we think that we come for an encouragement uh, to get me through the rest of the week. Uh, I came on Sundays so that I would hear some form of encouragement so that through the rest, rest of the week I would be ready to go. Um, that's not really the, the case here. Um, We came to hear the word of God taught. We came to hear the word of God explained that we might know God better. What we're seeing from God here is that he is not slack in giving promises. That God loves giving promises. And the only thing God loves more than giving promises is coming through on those promises. And the only thing that he loves more than that is people that are willing to take him up on his promises. So, What promises have we been given from God that maybe we're not taking full advantage of? What word has God given to us that we know will happen, we know is is sure that God has spoken it, but we're living as if we've never heard of that before? Let's let our hands be strong. God brought us here to remind us that the promises he's made will come true and to not get weary. We see that in Isaiah's day, they were responsible for, uh, they were guilty of idolatry to the point where they came before God and God said, stop coming before me, just, just stop it. I know that you've just been worshiping all these other gods, having all these sacrifices, and now you come into my temple with hands upraised, and you think everything's fine, just stop, don't come. In the day of Malachi, which is a couple hundred years uh, after this point, uh, it's not idolatry, but it's this formality, this ritual that we're talking about where we, it's Sunday, so we show up. Uh, they get into such a ritual that they bring these sacrifices that really shouldn't be accepted, but they bring them anyway. And when God calls them out on it, they say, well, how have we done wrong? So not only were they um, disobedient, but they were, they were foolish in their disobedience. Uh, they get to the point where... They haven't even realized, and God tells them, "Just stop, stop, stop giving these things." So, what we're looking for is a reality. And if you came because you thought the speaker was going to give it to you tonight, uh, you are gravely mistaken. The Lord is going to give it to you if you have a heart to seek after Him. We have this idea here: before these days, there were no wages for man nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace from the enemy. For whoever went out or came in, for I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. When they came back, we know that the children of Israel had a great desire to build the temple. They started the work right away, they were gung ho about it, and they said, We're going to build this temple. They laid the foundation, there was a great celebration, and then some opposition came, and then they stopped. And they didn't do anything for 16 years. They just worked on their own houses, built their own places. Try to get their own careers going and uh, get their families settled, and 16 years goes by, and nothing had been done to the house of God. And nobody realized that life is really, really hard. We're working all this time, and you know what, we don't have any money. And uh, we're trying really hard, but there's nothing to show for it. Not realizing that God was directly opposing them, that God was not going to allow them to be successful until certain things changed, and they put God first and got back to building the temple. So during this time, there were no wages for man, no hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I said, all men, everyone against his neighbor. You weren't looking to help the guy out next door to you, because if you helped him, you would suffer. So I don't want to suffer, so I'm not going to help him. So you set people at odds with each other, and everyone's out for themselves. That's what took place. He says, but now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heaven shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, and again let your hands be strong. He tells them that all the things that they were worried about in the past, they put God second, they worried about everything else. They've come to the point in time where they have repented of that, they have put God first, and God's saying, since you've put me first, all those things that you used to worry about it, don't worry about it anymore. I'm going to take care of it. There's going to be plenty of food for everybody. There's going to be plenty of rain in its due time. There's going to be so much increase that all the nations around you are gonna look at you and realize that you're being blessed. You're no longer gonna be a curse anymore. Right now, everybody's looking at them like these are the cursed people that God let uh, Nebuchadnezzar come and destroy and take all these people away. Well, soon they're gonna look at these people and say, these are blessed people. Look at what God is doing for them. The same thing is true in our own lives. We cannot put ourselves first and expect God to give us everything we want. But the moment that we're willing to put God first, He'll take care of the rest. I'm not saying he's going to make you a millionaire. I'm not saying that he's just going to make you wealthy and healthy. But it's this idea that he's going to meet your needs to put God first. It's another encouragement that he's given in the Old Testament, he's giving to us today. So, this idea is, I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Uh, Fear is a strange thing. We talk about the fear of the Lord, and people say, What is the fear of the Lord? Uh, The fear of the Lord manifests itself in obedience. It means that we are afraid of going against the will of God. So if we do not have a fear of the Lord, we have no problem going against his word, going against everything we know to be true. If we do have a fear of the Lord, we have this desire to be obedient to it because we know that there is negative things that take place when we're outside the will of God. Many negative things. So what he's saying here, do not fear, doesn't relate to that. Do not fear means this is a promise I'm giving to you. Don't worry about that anymore. We have a tendency to worry. It's a, it's a human tendency. Uh, it's a bad tendency. Sometimes we do terrible things when we're worried. Uh, what God is saying is all the promises that I've given so that you won't worry... Just be sure about those. They're 100% going to come true. They're 100% going to happen. So don't let yourself worry about that. Don't be afraid of those things. Um, We see that these people, though they hear this word, though they believe this word, still got to wake up tomorrow morning in a city that's been decimated and try to build this temple with all the enemies around them and their kids running in this, what used to be a war zone. So there's going to be a tendency tomorrow morning to wake up and to worry. But God saying, "Don't fear. Remember this promise." Verse fourteen: For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again in these days I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Uh, Similar to the words that we had last chapter, Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. We would all agree that uh, that's a good thing. We would all agree that uh, we don't do that, though we know it's a good thing. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace, The idea is no matter the outcome, truth, justice, and peace, no matter the outcome, even if it affects you negatively, we are to love these things. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Uh, This one may be the one we are most guilty of. It's easy to think evil and to convince ourselves it's okay because we didn't say anything. I didn't say it to their face. You know, well, you thought it, you know. So we have this idea that uh, we, we see it all the time. I am one that normally speaks what comes to mind, and I give evidence of the fact that I'm thinking evil. And then someone else in judgment says, that's terrible of you to say, when they in fact were thinking the same thing, but didn't say it. So what God is saying is we're both guilty. Don't even think evil against your neighbor. Uh, So don't don't just settle for the fact that you're able to control your tongue. Work harder and work to not even thinking about it. It says, do not love a false oath. Uh, don't make promises you can't keep. Don't take promises that you know the other person can't keep. Don't hold somebody to something that is going to come, not come true. Um, the idea here, too, is to also, uh, if you demand something from somebody and they say, no, I'm going to do it, and you know in your mind that they can't do it, don't hold them to that. You know it's not going to be accomplished. So, because what happens is the minute that they don't come through, you're able to come in judgment. You're able to say, see, it didn't happen, so now you owe me this. Uh, So sometimes we like false oaths because it puts us in a power position. It says, for all these things are things that I hate. Uh, Strong words from God. Verse 18, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh month, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. When this delegation came, they only asked about the fifth month. Should we fast in the fifth month? Um, God makes a statement in the seventh chapter about the fifth and the seventh. Here he's making a statement about all these other months. Uh, The fourth month, they would have fasted on the day that Jerusalem was overthrown under the rule of Zedekiah. And in the 10th month, it would have been to commemorate the day that uh, the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem. So th- these would have been all the months that they had these fasts in. And he's saying, the judgment is passed. What, what, what was done there is one day going to be, that's going to be a joyful feast. Cheer and gladness. For the house of Judah. And at the end, it says, therefore, love truth and peace. God has established what He's going to accomplish for the children of Israel, and He says, because I've told you this, I want you to love truth and peace. We cannot have peace without the truth. Sometimes we try to wiggle our way out of the truth. Sometimes we don't want what the Bible says to really be there, because it uh, reveals something about ourselves that we don't like. Even though we don't like it about ourselves, that doesn't make it not true. We have to have this idea of if we're willing to love the truth, then we can have peace. But we can't have peace without the truth. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Uh, this portion here is dealing with the nations around. Notice we have this uh, collective group. Um, verse 21, it says, that The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, So this whole city, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. And then we have the mention of an individual. I myself will go also. Sometimes when we think of Christianity, we think of the organization itself. Um, what Christianity has become today, uh, these many denominations of groups. And if you're a member of a denomination, then you're a Christian. That's not true. Just because you're a member of some worldly denomination, all it means is that you're a member of a worldly denomination. To be a true Christian is to be one that's been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian. So we have this statement where It's dealing with the nation as a whole and the individual, meaning all of these people do have it within their heart. So when we spoke about what did you come out tonight to hear, there will one day be a time where not Christians per se, but the nations will get together and they'll say, let us go and hear from the mouth of God what he has to say. So in a sense, they're going to do it better than we do one day. There's this, this, this hope and there's this longing for that. Yet many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. It will take place in Jerusalem. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. When we think of the children of Israel today, that is extremely hard to imagine. Everything that they've gone through, everything that they've suffered, uh, the position that they're in right now with all of their enemies around them, they want nothing more than to destroy Israel. And yet there's going to be a day where ten men will grab one Jewish man and beg them to take them so that because they know that God is with them. Um, these are promises, like I say, that will come true. As hard as it is for us to believe it, it's not too hard for God. It's a very simple thing for God. Um, We have this idea that what is he trying to teach us in these promises that he's giving, and these plans that he's making? He's trying to give us a desire to live a character that's pleasing to him. Again, God is not interested in the extraordinary. It doesn't give you credit uh, to do terrible through the week but show up on Sunday. Um, It doesn't balance out. God is concerned with the day-to-day life. He's concerned with the testimony that we have in the world all the time. And so the things that we see God interested in in the Old Testament are the same today. Um, The only thing is now there's a, a person tied to it, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live a life that doesn't follow his word, doesn't follow his guide, and then we claim him as we are a follower of him, we claim him as Lord, we claim him as Savior, and yet we only live in a formal ritual way. We shame his name. And when you think of the fact that this is the one that loved you enough to come in to die for you, Knowing everything that's going to take place, that we would one day shame his name, that we would live in such a way, Um, may we be motivated this evening to make a choice to live for him. Um, That maybe next time we we wake up in the morning, we have a desire to do the day-to-day, that by the time we come next Lord's Day, it's with a true desire to hear the word of God taught, because we want to do more. We want to do more. We have a desire to do more. Because the one that has loved us so much has asked us to. Not because it's, you must do this, you must do this, or punishment. There's no punishment for those that are in Christ Jesus. But out of love, we should have a desire to do the things he's asked us to. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, give you thanks uh, for the word from Zechariah uh, that indeed is so applicable to our day today. It's amazing to think that 500 years before our Lord Uh, came to this earth, they were struggling with the same problems we struggle with today. Uh, This idea of getting into a a ritualistic form of having our hearts be far from Thee and putting ourselves first. Uh, Father, we do thank You that uh, You do not uh, leave us to these devices, but that You call out to us, that Your Word speaks to us, and that indeed You have a desire to bring us back, not that You wish to punish us, but You wish to bless us. Father, we pray that we will uh, gladly return to all of these blessings, uh, that we will grasp all of these promises that you've given to us, and that we will live a life that is pleasing to you in our day-to-day walk with your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.